tell you were those fun, fun t-shirts. Well, welcome to the FLCCC Weekly Update. I'm Betsy Ashton. I'm the creative, uh, the creative director of this organization of medical professionals and their followers and their friends, their supporters. And I'm clearly still in holiday mode as everybody was that went up to Porkfest. I, I didn't get to go there, but several of our, of our people were there and you are going to meet them tonight. Let me just call up. Uh, you know, this was a very special thing that happened that so many of our people went up to this event on a campground in New Hampshire. And what was it all about? So one of the people who was there is our board member, Tom Markson. He's a special guy. He was a tech entrepreneur. He spent 20 years in Silicon Valley, and he's currently focused on partnership development for the FLCCC. As such, Tom was our lead porcupine at pork fest, whatever that is. Well, you're going to find out. And, you know, Tom, welcome. Come on board, meet our loyal audience. And uh, please tell us why you went to this thing and what really is pork fest. Thanks, Betsy. It, it was a, um, it, the story actually starts a little bit earlier. We started talking to Brownstone mm, earlier in this year, maybe even late last year, and really realized how much we had in common with them. We had very, very similar values. We both believe in freedom. We both believe in individual autonomy. And we're both fighting the same forces. And the, the forces that censored Dr. Merrick and, and Dr. Corey are the same ones that Jeffrey is fighting. Jeffrey and Lou were fighting over at Brownstone. And so we realized it was a natural partnership for both of us. Uh, plus, uh, just as a side note, Brownstone actually adopts uh, people that have been canceled into their fellowship program. And supports them and they write for them. So, which is similar to what we did with some of our doctors. We actually rescued our doctors as well. So there's just so much in common. So we spent some time actually trying to find out what was the right venue for us to work together and do something. So we were on a call with Jeffrey one day and he said, do you want to do Pork Fest? And okay. of course we said, What's Pork Fest? Right. What is it? <laughs> we had never heard of Pork Fest. Well, actually, Zara, who was with us, had heard of Pork Fest. I had not. And what it is, is it's a big seven-day libertarian campground event where all these people, small L libertarian, not libertarian political party, but people that are they're libertarian inclined, both believers in freedom. So this actually... What's interesting about this is this isn't a part an event where everyone sits around drinking beer constantly and smoking dope. There is some of that, I won't say, but but there's lectures at different tents throughout the entire thing, hundreds and hundreds of lectures. So we thought, well, this is a really interesting opportunity to engage with people outside of the bubble that we're in, outside of the medical freedoms circuit, outside of where we normally go. But you want you wanted to tell them the concern about doctors losing their freedom to prescribe, right? I mean, isn't that kind of what you were doing? And well, there's a bunch of, we sort of did a few things. The first thing was we brought um, Dr. Verone, who will be coming up later. Oh, yeah. We brought Dr. Kat Lindley, who isn't officially a member of the FLCCC. Uh, and, and we brought Christina Morris, who you've all seen in the- uh, She's coming in, up later too. She's coming up <laughs> twice later with the nurses. And what we wanted to do is provide 
people that had never heard of us or knew anything about us, some basics about what we thought was important, what was happening, and what, you know, some of our protocols, some of our guides that, that Christine had written. And Kat Lindley was able to actually provide policy information about the pandemic treaty, about and it, health regulations and things like that. So we ended up actually creating 15 talks in three days, which is pretty good. And we, uh, we had some help because Chris Martinson, who is also a member of our board, um, agreed to do talks as well because we sort of thought that health, 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 health is, is, is a pretty heavy lift for people, but if we could mix in some of the economics as well. And Jeffrey Tucker, who is, who is the president of Brownstone, is an economist, so we thought that would be a, like a nice mix with his organization. Well, it's in fact, it's about time to uh, bring him on. I'm going to do it with video first. You know, um, we have Jeffrey Tucker is a special guy. Um, he he did something really quite touching uh, at Porkfest to uh, introduce himself. Uh, you will see him with our board member. Uh, Chris Martinson talking to Jeffrey again. Yes, he's an economist. He's an intellectual who's written dozens and dozens of books and articles. He's founded the Brownstone Institute. And as many of you will recall, he was instrumental in putting together the Great Barrington Declaration. So here's just a, a fun, interesting way of meeting Jeffrey Tucker at Porkfest. One way or the other, I am a family legend, right? Either I set my great grandkids as yet unborn up for life and they're like, man, that dude was smart. Or they find my hoard and they go, that dude was crazy. And they tell stories about me for a long now, time. Now listen, I, I think you've, you've tapped into something that's extremely important. I have to just tell you a quick story. My, um, my father died 20 years ago. And, and, and my mother, and you've all been there, maybe you haven't, but my mother had to move out of her home to go to the, uh, you know, the, she wanted, you know, she wanted to get to a, a place that wasn't so you had to manage, but that meant that me and my brother had to go through all of my father's, all their stuff. You know, the wedding photos, and the this, and the that, and like digging through these immense, enormous lives and finding these artifacts, and it was just terrible. And some, of, some of them you have to throw out and so on. And at some point, my, my mother came to me and said, well, you know, your dad um, always um, cared for this. For the and she brought me a, like a steel strong box. I opened it up, and there's a, a bag in there. I had dumped out. It was filled with gold and silver. And it was so touching, um, and along with notes about a lot of the coins in there. And um, yeah, a ton of it, a lot of gold and silver. And gosh, I have to tell you, he died 20 years ago. I felt his love in that moment. I felt his presence and I felt his love. He was there. He collected that because he cared about the future, because he cared about reality, because he cared about truth. He cared about value. He was a great man. And there he was, right there, my dad. That's what he left me. So my brother and I just split it in half. And he's, he's still there. You know, Dad was gone a long time, but that day he was present to me. I, it's, maybe I'm not explaining it well, but it means 
the world. It means that he was a man of integrity who cared about value and cared about truth. So there you go. That's what your children would think. Oh my, what a lovely story, Jeffrey Tucker. And, you know, with both of you and Tom on caring about integrity and value and truth and doing good things for the next generation, you know, we had a very big federal court ruling handed down on the 4th of July holiday on Independence Day, an order against the federal government for getting involved in censoring social media, censorship that has blocked our doctors from sharing true life-saving information during the COVID pandemic. And yes, as you can see, the ruling got significant news coverage. And, you know, it's only the first step in the case, but it feels like a win for free speech. Jeffrey, how do you, how do you feel about that? And then Tom, you can join in too. How, how does this, what do you think? Is this a good sign for the future? I've been following this case for, I guess, the better part of two years and been very excited about it, but it hasn't gotten any mainstream media coverage at all. I mean, we've been writing about it on Brownstone, you know, once a week, several times a week, trying to draw attention to it because during the discovery process of, of the litigation, uh, we've we've unearthed thousands of documents, uh, absolute proof of a, of a deep collaboration between government and social media companies where government was clearly the master of the realm, you know, telling social media what to ban and, and who to ban and what what positions to allow and what not. And, w w you know, it was been a, a great challenge to the First Amendment because we've always believed we live in a, in a free society and and have taken our free speech for, for granted. And I'm not sure any of us in the early days were entirely aware of the extent to which government was actually um, blocking opinions and also separating us from each other, right? We didn't know there were other people that objected to the policies that were going on, partially because of the rampant censorship. So when this this uh, edict or this order, this this injunction came down from, from the federal judge in Louisiana, along with a 150-page memorandum documenting so completely and thoroughly uh, what, what had happened it, on July 4th of all times. Uh, it was a tremendous, tremendously exciting. It was, it's, I would say it's the best news that I've had in, since the onset of these dark times, you know, yeah. since, uh, since March 2020, uh, to finally uh, see the truth coming out. And what was interesting to me also is that this is the first time that a lot of people have even heard about this lawsuit. It was on the front page of the New York Times and the Washington Post and the Washington uh, Wall Street Journal and so on. So it got a ton of mainstream attention. The Washington Post was saying things like, oh, this is a disaster because it interrupts the great progress government has made <laughs> in collaborating with social media over the years. Well, yes, it does interrupt that. Um, and it, it holds out the hope that that social media will live up to what it was supposed to be. It was the idea of these social platforms was to give us voice. It was to is to make everybody a uh, you know give access to 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 to, to others. It could make everybody empower everybody with a sort of a media presence. Well, uh, the government didn't like that, and certainly mainstream media didn't like that, and so they really tried to shut it down. That's what this case proves. Uh, the judge issued the injunction. Because out of a sense of alarm, look at the amount of evidence. Look at what an attack this is on free speech. Look how much this contradicts 
all the rules and understanding that we've had as a free people and even court precedent, this is overwhelming. And I've been pointing this out for several months now. It's still going on you know, every day. I yeah. mean, YouTube's still taking down videos at behest of the CDC or the NIH or the FBI. Who knows? There's simply like 12 different government agencies listed here. Uh, they're still doing that. So that's probably why the judge said, look, we've got to have this, this injunction. He attached to the injunction a, this memorandum. Now, so immediately, this stuff is, is blocked and banned. It has to stop instantly. On July 4th, 2023, they finally stopped this, this grotesque attack on the First Amendment. The judge described it as the worst attack on free speech rights in American history. So it's quite quite striking. So I suppose the next step is uh, the there has to be a judgment on whether or not this federal judge can, in fact, uh, issue such an injunction. And I think the answer to that is yes. And there's probably another year, two, or three of litigation to go before it gets to the Supreme Court. And and Aaron Cariotti, one of the plaintiffs, most of the plaintiffs are associated with the Brownstone one way or the other. He and he's also been here. We have we've yeah. had him on yeah. the program. Yeah. So he believes, he says in his heart it's gonna succeed. And I have to say I, I agree with that. Like I'm not a lawyer, I don't know, but when you read through the judge's 150-page memorandum, it's it's absolutely overwhelming. This is the country. Uh, and the environment in which FLCCC was 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 born. This is where Brownson was born out of this. This burning desire to tell the truth, even though all the powers that be were trying to stop us. And there we are. So it's very satisfying. Tom, do you have a, a just a thought, a comment on that before we get back into a little bit more of Porkfest and Brownstone here? No, I mean, I think that's right. I, I think the the scary thought, which I keep in mind, is suppose they ignore it. And I don't know what we do then. Uh, you say, what did you say, Tom? Suppose what? So suppose they ignore it. Who is enforcing this? Ah, uh -huh. so th that's an interesting question. But it that that so if that's true that they ignore it, it means that this country is no longer a country of laws. Like Correct. at all. That's what that we means. We don't even we don't even pretend to live in a country of laws with a republican form of government. If that's true, I don't know. But we have to count on. You know the possibility that there's still some some aspects of the systems that are that are functioning. Uh, I, you know, if if they ignore it, then then all is lost. I I I I do think that I would think um, that would be difficult. I think it would be difficult because these kinds of these are very serious. Uh, if 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 the people named as defendants and it goes through agency by agency, name by name, if they continue with their actions, they're uh, they are acting in a violation of a, a a definite order by a federal judge with jurisdiction and evidence against them. So they they have to stop. And I think even I think they will. I I, I have a hard time believing. Now it's true they're going to have to get used to. Um, behaving in a way that's consistent with, you know, things like freedom and <laughs> constitution and that sort of thing. That may, that may be difficult uh, under the circumstances, but I think we'll get there. Well, let's just step back a minute and let's go back to um, Brownstone. Uh, you founded it. What, what's the mission and purpose of Brownstone? Uh, well, it, would, it came about during those emergency times, you know, we, the, as far as I'm concerned, you know, the, the, the lights went out on March, March, uh, uh, in March, mid March, uh, 2020. 
And uh, we went through some very dark times. We've all been there. We lived through it. We saw the, the collateral damages all around us. The whole generation's been damaged, loss of education, you know, the, the, the health uh, collapse of public health, all done in the name of virus mitigation. Incredible. But it felt uh, to me uh, initially as a mistake that would go away soon. It didn't go away soon. And the longer it lasted, I realized that this is a turning point in, in history and that it would require uh, years to reconstruct what happened, to figure out the intellectual, cultural, social, political errors that went into this, figure out who was lying about what and when and why, and to rebuild all the systems that were being shattered. And that actually the pandemic uh, controls revealed were already broken. So, and I didn't really see anybody taking this on as a task. Uh, there was also the other problem that, that so many scientists were losing their jobs through the vaccine mandates. Uh, so many uh, people were professionally displaced. I was speaking in Rochester a few months back and to a crowd of, it looked like about 500 people. And I said, how many in this room have been uh, professionally displaced or changed you know, demographics or jobs or something like that over the last uh, uh, three years? And I would say almost every hand in the room went up. So that's the level of trauma we're facing. And I felt like we needed an institution that was willing to confront that with, without shyness, without, you know, trying to hide where you know, the silent, most institutions are silent, right? Most everybody went silent. Yeah. And, 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 and the people who founded Brownstone were not, I mean, my, my partner in this, Lou Eastman is the guy who built the Great Barrington web, uh, Great Barrington Declaration website and did it overnight which is one of the reasons we broke through the censors because it was kind of like an ambush of truth <laughs> that it worked. So God bless him. And, and so we, we, he works with Brownstone and, and that's what it was set out to do. Just, just an attempt to kind of rethink and reclaim that sort of emancipatory vision that we've, we've all had, you know, that we should live in a free society with minimizing violence whether public or private, and, and, a, and a world of truth. And so that, that was the motive force. Very quickly, we became a sanctuary for a lot of scientists and writers who were otherwise canceled. And that, that, was, uh, that was two years ago, more than two years ago now. The people that, you know, this has always been a country where we questioned things. Yeah. We had yeah. a right to question. And yeah. we even had a right to protest if we didn't like right. the way things were done. And oddly enough, the left used to applaud that. Right. I mean, I... When I came of age and the women's movement was starting, my our bodies ourselves. <sighs> you won't tell me what to do with yeah. my body, with my yeah. reproductive system. Right. And now I don't have a right to say yeah. what will be injected in me. I mean, I'm sorry, folks. Yeah. I, I still want a doctor who says, oh, this is what's going on right. in your body. This is right. what you need. And it might right. be totally different from what Tom needs and, yeah. and from what Jeffrey needs. So, you know, there's, there's another element to this yeah. thing that's, that's really interesting to me. Um, uh, my training is in economics and my lifetime interest has been in public policy and the philosophy of freedom and that sort of thing. It's true. I've been writing about pandemic controls for the last say 16 years, but not all the time, just every once in a while. But I tell you what, if you told me five years ago that freedom would be, you know, ended and we would we would get rid of uh, freedom of religion and free speech and freedom of travel and and the freedom to, uh, 
you know, for your doctor to prescribe what he wanted. If you'd tell me that all this would happen in the name of virus mitigation, I wouldn't have believed it. And what was fascinating to me is when they when they pulled that trigger, when that when that thing was was done in March of 2020, many of my colleagues said, "Well, I don't know anything about immunology, virology, epidemiology." medicine and therapeutics. So I'm just going to stay silent and let the experts take over, right? So this was a catastrophic decision because what it meant is that it took everybody out of who was in the social sciences and told them to shut up and they did. That removed a ton of the opposition that otherwise would have been in place to everything that was taken. So a lot of my friends and colleagues just checked out. Now, I didn't, right? Because I, I, I was a little bit primed to slightly expect this, although the extent of it was, it was a shock. Anyway, uh, meeting up with FLCCC was great for me because, and still is great for me, I'm learning so much by our association because it's not Brownstone specialty, right? But it is FLCCC specialty. And we have specialties that are not, you know, uh, the, the primary specialization of FLCCC. So together, we're able to create this kind of interdisciplinary environment where there's a, a collaborative uh, search uh, to discover the truth and tell it and, and, and get it out to, uh, to people in the best way we possibly can. So it's an implausible uh, connection. On the other hand, it's almost inevitable in light of you know, the, the history of the last three years. So it's just been a beautiful understanding. And together, we're working to um, to rebuild, you know, the foundations of freedom and the foundations of health. That's where I see us both going as organizations. On that note, I think we need to get a doctor in here. We have one standing by. He was at Porkfest and he told a wonderful story. You folks, you just have to know, well, you've seen our Dr. Joe Verone in the past on this program, but he told something that was especially endearing to the audience because this is a man who spent hundreds of days nonstop working in a COVID unit in a hospital in Houston that was absolutely flooded with people who were very sick. It wasn't a rich section of the city. It was a section that got a lot of minority patients and they were the ones that would often not have regular doctors treating them. So they would come in with com you know, comorbidities and all kinds of problems. Joe was there and he told your audience up at Porkfest this mm -hmm. delightful, well, it's, it, it's, it's interesting the way he tells the story, the tale of what it was like in the beginning. So let's go to the tape. One cute story, the first day that I get home. So I made it home after three, four days of being in the hospital. And uh, my home is, uh, it's two stories because we have floodings in Houston. So I get to the home. This is the second story. My wife comes out and she tells me, Joe, take off your clothes. Uh, so I look at her and I said, oh, gosh, finally, you know, <laughs> after 35 years of being married, uh, this is going to get interesting. I said, here in the garage, she says, yes, take off all your clothes. I said, oh, great. So I am, you know, I'm a very, I mean, I, I follow my wife's order. So I take off my clothes completely, get all naked. And she says, okay. She turns, turn around. So I turn around. She wanted to make sure I didn't have any other clothing. She grabs this giant trash bag and throws it to the, to the floor and says, okay, now put your clothes inside that trash bag, 
close it, take it to the, to the washer, go to the, to the room, take a shower, and then you can come and say hi. Because that's how people were scared about what was going on. You have no idea. I was the only doctor in my COVID unit. The cardiologist, the gastroenterologist, the whatever ologist you want to have would not come into the unit. They were freaking out for their minds. So I had a lot of uh, medical students and I said, we're going to do whatever we have to do. Joe Verone, welcome. <laughs> well, yeah, thank you for having me. Well, it's always a pleasure. And what, what took you to pork fast? By the way, where did the name come from? Uh, maybe Jeffrey better explain that one to our audience. I think that Jeffrey probably knows more than I do. No, <laughs> okay. I and then, and, but then I want to know, know why you went. So just just quickly, the, this is the 20th year of, of uh, the Porcupine Freedom Festival is what they call it. And and I, I really I, really, I guess porcupine is like the, the the state animal of New Hampshire. The idea is to get everybody to move to New Hampshire. But but otherwise, uh, to bring regular people together who just have a ferocious love of their human rights uh, to uh you know, to, to just camp for a week. And it's just grown. I think the first year was maybe 30 people, but now there's like 3,000. But my experience with Parkfest has always been this filled with, I'm sure uh, Dr. Rohn can confirm this, but uh, really sincere uh, people who, uh, they're just regular regular folks who just love liberty and and enjoy meeting each other. It's, it's, there's never any, everything's perfect at Parkfest. We all have a good time. Our tent was was packed from the beginning of the week all the way to the end. I'm so I'm so grateful uh, to Dr. Verone for coming. I'm sure he was kind of talked out by the end. We all were, but it was fun. <laughs> okay, well now, Joe, tell, so, tell us. So you know, so you what happens there? is that you know, I, I, I met with Tom a few months earlier, and he's telling me about this pork fest. And I don't know why I think it's something that has to do with food. So pork fest, maybe they're going to have ham. I don't know. They're going to have something like that. And then he says, "Well, you know, Jeffrey is coming." I said, "This is going to be interesting. I want to see Jeffrey eating ham and doing all that stuff." But then uh, he starts telling me more about it, and I go there. Once you pass the part where you see everybody walking around with a big machine gun or stuff oh, like that, that, I mean, you, everybody. I mean, it's, and then you realize that you know their family is there with their kids, and their kids are running around, not hooked to a, to a cell phone. They are in bicycles. I was so impressed that I told Mark, I don't care, I'm going next year. I have to go next year. I've been, as you know, I have been very vocal on, on, on TV throughout the pandemic. I've been talking to people, but usually I don't hear back from them. I just, you know, maybe get a letter or so. But talking to these people, getting to answer their questions and concerns. A lot of them had some legitimate questions. Other ones had some conspiracy theories that some of them may be legit, some of them may not be, just to be able to interact. I think that uh, spending an and you know, getting to work with Jeffrey was really, really, really cool because he does have some unique individuals that came to his tent. There is no question about that. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things that you talked about up there, you were asked the question about medical freedom. And, and what's literally happened to doctors during the course of the pandemic. And maybe, maybe you can explain it better to the people watching who are not medical professionals, what you've seen. We, we know that some doctors have been canceled and thrown out because they used a protocol that wasn't approved, even though all of the drugs in the protocol were approved. 
you know, they've, they've got FDA approval. This is not snake venom stuff, all this craziness. You used the Math Plus protocol in your ICU from the very beginning, and you weren't losing patients. And that was where they were losing patients, yeah. but they complained about And that was the most interesting you. part because, you know, people, one of the beauties about going to Forfest, I could explain what truly happened. You know, when, when you tell people, guess what? Yes, we were using this protocol that we developed and our mortality rate in my hospital was 4.4% when the rest of the nation was 40%. Yeah. And now you come and, and tell me that you are going to uh, censor me or you're going to have a board reviewing whatever I do. Mm. Or like I used to say, you know, I was the number one prisoner on Facebook jail because they kept on, on, on cutting me off. So being able to talk to, to, to people and explain they understood. They they truly understood. So it was a fantastic experience. And like I said, I'll be happy to do it every year from now. <laughs> was it for for you, Jeffrey? How much did the medical input advance oh, things this year? Oh, it was amazing. I mean, definitely the most high end talks of all. Porkfest. I mean, the, the, everybody. Be, once word got out about our tent, it would. It was just from morning to night. It was just packed. I mean, there was standing room. People were spilling out the door, and not just for cocktail hour. Yes, we ran a cocktail hour every night, <laughs> as we called it, uh, a charity based open bar. Um, but uh, but no, it was it was it was it was mighty, and that as again, this this merger of of medical professionalism you know, with the social sciences and economics and political philosophy was, was beautiful. I mean, we live in a world where everybody wants us to stay separate, you know, just stay in your lane, you know, let Fauci take care of the science and I don't know, Paul Krugman take care of the economics, right? And then everything's going to be great. Well, it was a great thing about the mix there because look, both of our organizations, we're talking about human life. We're talking about a good life, a better life, preserving life, and living better, you know? And you have to have that multidisciplinary approach. So ha having uh, all the medical doctors there talking, it was amazing. And yes, everybody was extremely intrigued. And I have to say, you know, I've been going to Porkfest for, I would say, maybe 10 years. And it's always been, all my lectures have been about economics or whatever. This is the first year that we've had this blend, this, this mixing of disciplines, and it created a very powerful uh, messaging, I would say, in our tent. Did you find, you know, I'm finding, because I live in a world where people, educated people, are mm -hmm. largely the people that I know and see all the time, and they read the New York Times, because I live yeah. in that world, okay? And they have no idea of the censorship. This is why I listen to NPR. I always want to know what everyone is saying. I listen to NPR talk about the ju the judicial decision and, oh, how terrible that misinformation is going to be getting out there. <laughs> well, the question is, what's misinformation? Who's doing the labeling? Is it a manufacturing group that has a financial interest in something? That they're pushing versus doctors who really only care about the health of the patients. Right. I mean, this, this is the question. They have no idea. They're not getting the messaging. And so finally we get Joe talking to people, but we don't have pork fest everywhere. We need, we need to talk to everybody. 
Now it's it's a beginning, um, and I, I think we what we put on display in New Hampshire that weekend was the possibility of the the urgency of rethinking everything, everything about you know our political systems, our economic systems, the health delivery systems. You know what is health? How are we going to get there? Our diet? You know just like everything, and and we didn't know at least I didn't know so much was broken, and maybe we're all in this situation of realizing that, that we lived in a broken world even before uh, the pandemic. So in a sense, the question we always have to ask ourselves is what good, what is the silver lining? What good are we gonna take out of these three dark years? And this is what I think both of our organizations are dedicated to doing. Yes, we look back. Yes, we try to figure out what went wrong, but the, the most urgent thing is what are we going to do for the future to live better lives, to embrace freedom again, to reclaim our health from the people who lied to us and, and censored us and tried to destroy the world. What are we going to do now in light of the terrible experiences we have? Joe, ask, let's answer that. What are we going to do? What's and, you know, and, 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 well, I can tell you from a medical standpoint, that's why we have FLCCC. That's why we created it. We started on a single illness. You know, we started with COVID because we didn't know what to do with COVID. Uh, and now we are expanding to other illnesses, other conditions. What can we do to make people better? What can we do for people to remain healthy so they don't end up requiring to use the system, which, as you correctly mentioned, it's broken. It's yeah. broken. They want to, 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 to guide the narrative and tell us what is good and what is bad, even if they, what they consider good is bad and what we are doing that they think is bad is actually good. So those are the things that we need to do. And, you know, again, our associations with uh, people like the brownstone. I mean, that to me, it's it's the perfect fit. We really we really hit it off. It was it was uh, really yeah, nice. I'm funny. telling you, I wish I, I wish like uh, Jeffrey says that we have more pork fest all over the, <laughs> right. the U.S. I even told Tom we just need to get an FLCCC bus and just go on a on a road on a road show because uh, you really need to reach out. Uh, those people that maybe are not as inquisitive as the ones that we met at Portfest. Maybe we need to reach out some other people that are not allowed. For example, I was uh, surprised to see that there were a lot of people that did not know that you have the right as a patient to refuse treatment, to refuse an intervention, to even uh, ask your doctor for particular interventions. I spoke specifically uh, with Christina about uh, those things in, in, in Portfest. And, some people looked at me like, oh, can, can you do that? I didn't know that you can do that because once you enter a hospital, you are there basically, it's a jail and you have to do what they tell you to do. And that's not right. I mean, that's why we have a constitution in this country. That's why we have a freedom of choice. And that's the reason why I came to this country. Has it worked for you? Uh, it used to work up until a few years ago. I mean, the last uh, the last decade has not been the best one. Let's put it that, that way. And unfortunately, especially during the pandemic, we found out the hard way. And some of my colleagues, as you well know, I mean, they were literally crucified for doing the right thing. And and doing and doing exactly what doctors knew they were supposed to do. In the middle of February of 2020, there were many articles in all the medical journals and all the popular publications from Slate to Psychology Today. Don't worry about COVID. We we've got this. We've dealt with respiratory infections in the past. We have experience. Everybody, calm down. It's going to be fine. We'll repurpose the medications. We know that we've got the therapeutics. We we've got this covered. And then about a month later, 
everything went insane. And, 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 and everybody was told to forget everything you know, we're just gonna lock down and wait for the vaccine. And then when the vaccine comes, you damn sure better take it. And that was it. And yep. you know, I, I listened to your talks, uh, Dr. Rowan, uh, at at Porkfest, and what what I heard from all your talks is a, a medical professional with profound experience, but a great love, great courage, uh, but a tremendous knowledge that you used in the middle of a crisis and a time when everybody else was just going along with whatever Fauci was saying. And look at the difference you made just by applying your 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 humane values and your medical expertise at a time when everybody said don't do that well and they said you can't do that we can't approve it some of us were trying yeah. to get the word out to media yeah. oh no we can't cover that because you have to do a randomized controlled trial which will take months or years to complete on the whole and thing millions and millions of, of dollars <laughs> you know you got to be crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. And, you know, and we talked about all of those things. We talked about the ethical things during, during pork first as, as to doing in a randomized trial when people were dying and, and you knew that what we were doing was working. Uh, we talked about that. We talked about all this media censorship. I mean, uh, people could not believe how, you know, I would have the big networks come into my unit. They would look at what was going on, but they would keep their mouth closed as far as the use of our protocols that were working. They, they didn't ask you why. Yeah, they didn't they ask you why it's working. No, no I mean, and I, I, they did ask me why, but at the time they would edit the video to come out. The one thing that they would leave out was the protocol. It's like, come on. And as you remember, one of the, one of the uh, people that interviewed me got so annoyed with them censoring her that she actually quit on the air and uh, went up to do, become an independent uh, a reporter who does who does a fantastic uh, job. We have a large number of questions, of course, <laughs> coming in, and we have another person on our staff who was with you, our CRNA uh, top nurse, Christina Maros. Christina, come on uh, and share your impressions with the whole pork fest uh, feast that you were at. Uh, and you were talking, of course, about, well, what were the questions that you were asked, the issues that were most um, interesting to the people that you saw there? Well, <clears throat> it was interesting because it gave a unique opportunity to be able to speak with people face-to-face, -face, which was very valuable um, to educate people about who we were. And some people knew who we were and some people didn't. But I think the biggest question that was very popular was how can we change what the current situation is? And we actually um, did a talk on that as well. Um, and we have that question that popped up actually in the feed tonight and Q&A. What can we do to take back our uh, medical profession, our sovereignty, et cetera, et cetera? And we all have to like stand up and be the change. That's what you do. You stand up, you take ownership of your rights as a patient, as a practitioner, because it's not just doctors, it's nurses too. Nurse practitioners also prescribe. Um, and we have to step outside of the system and take charge of what is going on. And there's ways to do that. And we spoke about that at Porkfest. Well, such as what? We've got a lot of people who watch this program uh, who are medical practitioners. Uh, many of them feel that they have to stay silent, as you know, because they'll lose their jobs. They've got medical bills to, you know, they've got the um, 
student loans and everything else and families and da 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 da. Uh, how do you do? What do you tell people to do? Um, be courageous and step outside the system. There are ways you can create your own practice. There's practitioners who are teaching those um, ways to do that. Join up and make a collection with other people who are doing the same thing, a sort of a decentralized network of prescribers um, and stop using insurance. We can get away from this insurance-based system and have like uh, memberships to these telehealth practices that promote um, health promotion, not fixing a disease. If you become proactive with your health and you health and you teach your clients that as well, then the mm -hmm. system paradigm shifts as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's, those are just a few things you can do, right? Your political leaders, educate them on what's going on in the system, speak out and try to have other people understand what the problem in the, and the system is. All these things are very important to make this change happen. Joe, do you want to add anything to that? I mean, it's basically, you know, again, what, what the things that we can do are uh, things where we take control of mm -hmm. first our own bodies. Mm -hmm. Like you said earlier, you know, uh, sometimes we say my body, my choice, but th then when they tell you, well, you got to get this vaccine because if not, you cannot work, then it does. It's, your body is no longer your choice. It's the choice of somebody else because if not, you cannot get a job. Second thing that we need to do is have people that know medicine to come up with. I mean, look at some of these fantastic protocols that Paul has come up with in the last uh, three years. Some of the ones that he just uh, released out. How can you prevent cancer? I mean, come on, this is this is like amazing. Uh, mm. We just need people that know what they're doing, and then mm -hmm. have people like Jeffrey, who is uh, amazing at what he does and understands policy, understands economics clearly. And see how can we all blend them together mm -hmm. for the good of people. Mm -hmm. One of the insights, uh, I'm not sure if it was what you said, Nurse Christina, or some uh, maybe Dr. Ron said this, or maybe all the speakers, but uh, pointing out that the neglect of basic nutrition in medical schools, uh, that was kind of mind-blowing. I mean, most people who are not in medical school assume that people go to medical schools so that they can learn to help other people get healthy and stay healthy. <laughs> that's that's what we all assume, right? But from what I heard, this is actually a, a, a nutri basic nutrition is de-emphasized at, 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 in, in medical and, and, and if you remember, Jeff, we talked about it. We said, you know, what medicine has become is a revolving door where you yeah. get somebody healthy for a few weeks and wait for them to get sick so that they can come back. And I gave specific examples. I said, look, people, I mean, we're, paying, we're getting paid as doctors peanuts, literally peanuts. So what the doctor needs to do is, quote unquote, make sure that the patient is healthy, but not 100% healthy, because if not, he doesn't come back to us. And that is really bad. That's not what I went to medical school for. That's mm. not what my students are going to learn, at least not from me. Mm. I also want to add that a patient can be an informed consumer. We have all these great guides and um, instructions and infographics on our website. That you created many well, of them. <laughs> not just me, but our team. But what I'm saying is it's important for a patient to become educated on their own bodies and their own health care right. and to understand what they're getting into and learn how to navigate the system. That is fundamental. Know your know about informed consent, know your rights. This is all important stuff to know before you go see a healthcare provider right. at the hospital. Right. 
So, and that overlaps very closely with my own discipline of economics. In economics, we talk about consumer sovereignty, like a, a really good system of economics is one that puts the consumers in charge and that the producers are responding to the priorities of the consumers. So, so it's not like a top-down thing. A, a good, healthy economic environment is one that extends outwards from the bottom up uh, so that 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 people's preferences and wishes can can uh, uh, be realized, but that requires that people really take charge of their lives, become I think as Nurse Christina said, conscious consumers. You know, and that's true in every area, whether it's what you eat, but it's also true in in medicine too. I mean, just be aware: your money is your own, your time is your own. Let's use them more wisely and 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 get informed about what that means. And 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 in so doing, we're going to contribute to the well-being of ourselves and also the social order, generally speaking, too. Well, we're all about education. Now, I got some questions here I want to get to you. Kathleen Strand asked an interesting one. She says, is it conceivable that citizens could sue due to this ruling? For example, someone injured by the vaccine who did not have access to the information they needed to make a good decision, uh -huh. or someone who lost their job or income due to censorship. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Yeah, uh, the answer to that is, is yes. In fact, I just spoke to a guy very much in the know on the case today who said that one of the great achievements of, of this injunction in this case is that it opens up the possibility of, of just really a tsunami of, of litigation against the government, which we've never seen anything like this before. I mean, usually you don't think citizens have the right to sue government, but now we're seeing that it's possible. You know, the first case when this happened was uh, the, the mask mandate case. Remember that? That was a Florida judge. And, and some regular citizens just stood up and said, I don't think that the government has the right to determine what kind of clothing I wear on my face, you know, and, and make me cover up my mouth. I don't believe it. And sure enough, a judge agreed. That's wrong. And the CCD, uh, CDC had to, um, well, they haven't backed down. They're still litigating the case, but they lost. And so that was brilliant because that just sort of opened up uh, the, this opportunity. But this recent case, yeah, there's going to be a flood of litigation. It's, it's going to last uh, a decade or decades from now. Here's an interesting question. We sort of touched on this early on. Laura Chamberlain wants to know, if the federal government ignores this injunction, which we don't think can happen, but whatever, let's see, could the constitutional sheriffs go in and direct arrests? Jeffrey, do you know anything? Uh, yeah, I, we don't, I don't have any know, lawyers I, on here tonight. Well, so. no, but I, I will tell you that I heard today that that ultimately enough enough refusal actually does risk jail. So you can't just ignore, you know, the edicts of a of a federal court. It's just that's just not possible. I mean, at some point, um, at some point, you're going to have to comply or or give up everything. So I, I the, this is it's a serious business, very serious business. All right, here is someone who is asking, it's an unnamed viewer, says the attacks upon free speech have been so well coordinated worldwide. Who are the puppet masters? BlackRock, <laughs> Gates, well, the World Economic Forum? Who, who's, the, who's the great question we've all been asking for three and a yeah. half years, right? <laughs> I know, um, you know, and we could, we, we could spend the next year just sitting here just with some of the of the theories that I, I heard at Porkfest of some of these puppet masters. <laughs> That's too complicated a question. I could, I'd have, there's no one answer, unfortunately. Yeah. 
All right, here we have um, to the panel. What do you think about Dr. David Martin's testimony before the European Parliament? And why are his findings about the history of COVID, the creation of the vaccines along with Fauci, the role of the University of North Carolina and Pfizer's role in all of this, not more widely referenced? Personal, part of the problem is, is censorship. Yeah. I can get personal experience from Europe, so. Yeah, go. I was just going to say they are they're as censored as we are, and they all have to follow protocols too. Like they are not way ahead of what we have going on here. And they present facts, and then basically no one shows up, and and those facts are ignored. I mean, I I know I gave a one of the people in in our parliament the facts from the bird group to take to the um the the Dutch minister of health, and they ignored that too. Like all the meta-analysis, all the information, and because they wanted to push the agenda. They, you know, they have contracts to push medications from pharma. It's basically controlled by those puppet masters, just like it is here. Yeah, I didn't realize uh, five years ago the power that pharma has. I mean, maybe you you did, but I was completely naive about this, and I didn't realize just how many governments have been for sale uh, to Pfizer Moderna and the, and Big Pharma. It, it's, it's been such a revelation. It's, it's, it's a bit of a shock. But if you understand that, yeah, there's a window to a lot of understanding of a lot of things in light of that. I mean, I think that I have known for as long as I have been a doctor that, you know, these big pharmaceutical companies, they have all the money in the world and they can buy everything. They can buy from hospital committees to board committees to governments. And the fact is that, you know, they are just there for the money. And I, you know, again, it's a business, you are an economics uh, person, so you understand that they want to make money. I have no problem with pharmaceutical companies making money. I have problems with pharmaceutical companies lying to the public and gaining money by killing other people. That's where I have a problem, a serious problem. Mm -hmm. I'll here. I'll give you another little little inside story. The Dutch Minister of Health, his brother was was on the board of the AstraZeneca. He may have actually been the president. I can't remember the exact relationship, but he was on, within employed with AstraZeneca. And we had this unelected group of people running our COVID policy, and people in that group had vested interest in the PCR test. So they had established the lockdown rules for everyone in that country. So it's very it's very dirty. It's all very dirty. That's right. That's right. You know, in the lockdowns in the U.S. Uh, on on the weekend of of the 14th and 15th of March of 2020, one of the people that was consulted uh, was a board member of, of Pfizer, the former head of of the FDA, uh, Scott Gottlieb, and his recommendation uh, to the, uh, to the Trump White House at the time was. Uh, if you think you've, you're going, going too far with lockdown orders, you probably haven't gone far enough. So he was on the board of Pfizer at the time. Um, and, and there were two other uh, consultants in the lockdown orders that were both drawn from the healthcare data industry. They were frequently described in the national media as healthcare professionals. Well, sort of. They were buyers and sellers of people's healthcare data. That, I think that's not quite the same thing. When people think of the healthcare industry, they think of Dr. Ferrone and Nurse Christina. They don't think of uh, these merchants of data. 
but that's what these two guys were. So there, there's a lot of nefarious goings on there. And, and you know, even during Porkfest, we talked about, you know, these uh, particular papers or articles that were medical articles published in very well-known journals. In one of them where they have 26 authors and 19 out of those 26 authors worked for the pharmaceutical company that made the vaccine. It's like, come on. I mean, can you say conflict of interest? Yeah. Big, major. Well, we have uh, editors, former editors-in-chief of leading journals who have said they don't trust anything either. And they said this 10, 20 years ago. It started, it has been happening, but somehow it seems that it exploded during COVID when all of a sudden there is this massive control that didn't used to happen. Could all of the ads in major media have something to do with it? Could the fact that when you look at most major media, you, you just count the drug ads, how, how likely are they to say, oh, no, 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 we don't, we, you know, that's a sponsor. We can bite the hand that feeds them. No. They, we don't listen to them. I, I don't but, think and we should be, we should be anymore. This is not, this is not traditional capitalism. I mean, for one thing, the vaccines were developed with taxpayer dollars. Uh, they all got patents for their, for their, for their vaccines. They're all protected against liability. They're, in, they're, they're, they're you know, if something goes wrong, they don't have to pay the, the cost of it. And when the consumers resisted, they lobbied governments to impose mandates on everybody. I mean, this is not a system based on choice. It's a system based on compulsion and coercion. I have a couple of questions for Dr. Verone, and then a, uh, then a lot of people want to know a little bit more about the direction the FLCCC is moving in. But first, uh, Joe, can you comment on vision issues related to COVID infection and or the vaccine? Anybody I have actually, it? yes, I have actually seen them both. I have seen vision changes related to COVID. I have seen vision changes related to the COVID vaccine. If you remember, both of them are spike-related, uh, spike protein-related illnesses, and that induces microclotting. So you can have clotting of the vessels that feed the optic nerve or even the back part of your brain. So I've seen them both. And uh, unfortunately, they do happen. We have a few ophthalmologists that are uh, really good at, uh, at looking at those things. So if you guys have uh, those things, I'm sure we have a, a listing that we can provide you information with. Very good to know. Um, another question for you from Sandra Spears says, is there a new COVID strain being anticipated for the fall? Okay, so the first thing that you need to understand is that COVID is here to stay. It's not going anywhere, it's here to stay. And it's gonna be mutating like all the viruses do. They keep on mutating. Right now we have a, a, a strain that is, I call it the granddaughter of Omicron. It's very benign. I mean, uh, for example, in Houston, uh, it's two out of 100,000 people that are getting it. Only 1% of the ICUs in the state of Texas have patients that have COVID of some ways or form. So don't worry about that. Will there be mutations? Yes, there are going to be more mutations. That's the nature of viruses. How you keep your health, how you keep your own comorbidities or medical conditions is what's going to make a difference whether you get really sick or you don't get really sick. I may recommend that you look at the FLCCC. We have all sorts of protocols that allow you to at least prevent you from getting uh, in trouble. Uh, can I add that, sure. that if, if people take responsibility for their health and make healthy choices and do everything they can to 
tweak things to make their immune system stronger, you don't need to worry about the next strain. It's part of the pro propagation of the fear. If we can just release ourselves from this fear, work on making ourselves healthier, you're going to be able to take on whatever threatens your immune system. Right. Right. You, you know, do you, do you wonder sometimes if if the public reaction to the the COVID panic would have been different if people had been more educated about about nutrition, health, about viruses, and do you think public uh, the the ignorance of the public played into the fear? It does, but remember also fear in of by itself, anxiety in of by itself decreases your immune system. Mm. So you didn't tend to get more prone to develop infections. So you are freaking mm. out, just like the example that I gave at the beginning. I mean, of course you're going to get sick. Mm. Fear. Fear is in it of itself mm. creates illness, creates panic, creates awful Absolutely. things. And, and sometimes the fear, is, the fear is worse than the actual illness itself. All right. Now here's the question. Techniques, you, very important to re release all that fear. All right, we have a question about the direction of the FLCCC from a lot of our viewers. Um, they are commenting that they see the FLCCC moving in multiple new arenas of human health. Yes, we now have a cancer protocol. We have others coming up for all kinds of issues. What is next for the FLCCC as you still combat long COVID and vaccine injury? Joe, you're in on this. What would you like to answer? Well, you know, when we formed FLCCC, like I told you, we were fighting one illness. But then we realized that one of the reasons why we were fighting that one illness is because people were not taking care of the other illnesses that they had. So the natural evolution of what we're doing is just to proceed and try to educate as many people as we can on what can they do to prevent getting sick, not just of COVID, but of other things. It is what's, what's natural for this organization to do. Why? Because you have truly brilliant clinicians, brilliant people, an amazing support uh, team, and, and now amazing collaborations that can help us help others. So I think that uh, FLCC really is going to become, we are going to help you get better or get healthy or get healthier than what you are so that you don't get sick. If you can avoid all the trouble out there. This our, is, our future this is, is educating things. the public. Our future yes. is educating practitioners and patients about what they can do to be proactive about their health. Their health. So this is, is an endless mission that we're going to be doing in the future. And right now. And right now. We have a question from Jerome Dancis who says, could the media continue censoring with this new ruling or can the media continue to take orders from drug companies who finance them instead of federal officials? Yeah, I, uh, I will comment to that. My hope was that this would somehow pertain to, to regular media, but let's be clear about the, the limits. Uh, this was directed towards social media. In other words, the platforms that are, that are enabling their users to speak. And it, it orders government to, to leave them alone and not tell them how they can censor uh, their users. It doesn't say anything about the relationship between media and government itself. So that is still a little bit on the table. And we have to, have to understand that the main way the media works is that, you know, the, the New York Times reporter on transportation has, you know, 15 contacts to the Department of Transportation's to, to transportation. They tell them what to say. I mean, this has been going on. It's true in agriculture. It's true in drugs and everything. 
This is the way media works. They just have a close relationship with the deep state. This injunction does not affect that at all. So you still have to be on the lookout. That doesn't mean that that media is going to get better, sadly. It does mean that maybe social media will become a little more hands-off in terms of uh, censoring your voice. But also it means that you should use your maybe newfound freedom, we'll see, uh, to test the limits of this injunction. Let's start speaking our minds again. Don't uh, uh, self-censor anymore. Let's just see what happens. With that encouragement, <laughs> with that <laughs> encouragement and hope, we've uh, we've exhausted our time. And we thank you very, very much, all of you, for sharing this um, wonderful discussion, uh, the discussion that took place in New Hampshire. Um, could it be, I'm just wondering, could it be the fact that New Hampshire has traditionally been the first state that is the primary state, you know, where all the candidates go and it's a mm. small state and they go all over the state and people in New Hampshire are accustomed to asking serious questions about public policy to every candidate there is. Could that be why it's such a good place for such conversation? Well, I tell you what, we don't, uh, uh, Brownstone doesn't do any of these national events because mostly we're just very, we're kind of done with all that silliness. The state motto of New Hampshire is live free or die. And they take that seriously there. Very seriously after what I saw. <laughs> <laughs> well, you all had a wonderful time. I'm, I'm sorry I didn't get to go with you, but it sounds like it was um, an illuminating and fun event. Um, great t-shirts. I love the one on it's for my horse. I think that's just working on those. We're getting those in the store. I hope you appreciate the fact that I've got lots of logos on. Um, Very Christina, Christina is the one who gets in and designs a lot of the stuff that we have uh, for the FLCCC. And our Zara, store. don't forget Zara. Oh, yeah. Oh, Zara is brilliant yeah. with uh, all kinds of graphic stuff. So you, you two have a lot of talent. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you, Jeffrey, for being with us. And oh, Joe, sure. as always, and Christina constantly with us. I have a few announcements that you really do want to stay on for because mm -hmm. they even announce the book. Yes, we've got a book that we're going to talk about. All right. And we've got skipping around. You can see there the next thing that's coming up on Brownstone. All right. If you want to learn more about that institute, check out their website and also consider attending the Rebuild Freedom Conference in Gala, where our own Drs. Pierre Corey and Paul Merrick will be featured speakers. It's taking place Saturday, November the 4th in Dallas, Texas, and you can learn more at the website that is there, genie.us forward slash Rebuild Freedom, November 4th. Now then, let's go to that book. Our Dr. Joe Verone has just published a book called The Adventures of the COVID Hunter, detailing his experience working on the front lines for 715 days straight since the beginning of the pandemic. It's a fun and inspiring read, and you can find it now wherever books are sold. All right, Twitter space. 
This coming Monday, we will be hosting our third Twitter space. This one is on low-dose naltrexone and its use in the treatment of many illnesses from COVID-19 to psychiatric illnesses to hormone issues and more. It will feature our own Christina Morrow, CRNA and clinical specialist here at the FLCCC and Dr. Yusuf J.P. Salibi and my own physician, Dr. Keith Berkowitz. Q&As from the audience are welcomed. That will be Monday, July 10th at 7 p.m. Eastern. Set a reminder for the space at the link on the slide. Now then, our own Dr. Bean has released the 60th episode of Long Story Short. Where does time go? How could he get 60? My goodness. This one looks at how vitamin D, omega-3s, and basic exercise can help reduce the risk of cancer, especially in older adults. Important stuff. Make sure to watch for it on our social channels on Odyssey and Rumble and at flccc.net forward slash Dr. Bean. And oh, yes, Dr. Bean's famous artwork is featured on our in-store product of the month. You can enjoy your morning coffee in this amazing mug. And don't forget to use the code Left Doctors Be Doctors at checkout to receive 10% off. Head over to supportflccc.net to learn more and buy a Dr. Bean cup now. Now then, Christina, of course, the lady behind much of the online store, uh, is with us. Bring her back with our favorite RN, Stephanie, and Samantha, who are so kindly answered. Samantha couldn't be here tonight. It's just me and oh, Stephanie. It's just the two of you. Oh, my goodness. Well, did you have a chance to answer many questions? Well, Ooh. Stephanie, how did how'd it go? I have never borne the weight of all of it on my own shoulders. Oh, my goodness. Oh, how did you do? Well, yeah. we, we had like 53, it looks like, Stephanie, and we answered about half of them. We did pretty good with the two of us. That's we that, well, we thank you for your time. And I, I have a funny feeling that everybody was listening to this conversation, which kept moving and going in all good directions. Um, so thank you. Thank you for being with us, volunteering your time to do it. It's wonderful. And um, hopefully you'll be back here next week, maybe even with a couple more nurses to help, which would be Hope so. we can use it. Everybody's on vacation this week, right? That's it. Yeah. Well, thank you. And of course, not only thanking our nurses, but we want to thank you, all you people who are with us, you know, day in and day out, week in and week out to help us to continue to do all that we are doing to try to make it a better world and to try to help doctors and let doctors be doctors and let them put patients first. We are forever grateful to you and your support means so very much to us and to all of the people out there who benefit from the protocols that we keep putting out. Our Dr. Merrick is just amazing. He keeps coming up with more and more. His, his excellence is just truly um, astonishing. And those of you who know him know that word very well, right? So we thank all of you, all of you freedom lovers, and we look forward to seeing you next week uh, here. But before we go... A reminder, on next week's webinar, we're going to have Dr. Kat Lindley with us to speak about the Global Health Project, the World Health Organization, what it's doing, and digital health IDs. And you won't want to miss that. 
Uh, so make sure to join us Wednesday, July 12th, same time, same place. Dr. Kat was also one of the speakers up at the medical freedom panels. Everyone there wanted to know about parallel medical systems. What are they? How can they possibly work? And Joe Verone talked about it and Kat uh, talked about it. And we're ending with videos of what they had to say about parallel medical systems. See ya. If I had them, trust me, I would have already started them. <clears throat> I think that we start by doing what we're doing. You know, first you get a group of people that are hardworking enough and smart enough that they can come up with ideas. And then the bigger the group is, the more we can start infiltrating or approaching those who don't believe and just try to convince them that what we're doing is the right thing. I mean, I don't think we're doing anything bad uh, as an organization, as individuals. We are just trying to help people. And people say, why are you trying to help people? I do it, not, you know, for me, for my children, for my grandchildren, I mean, for the future of humanity, for the future of this country. If we continue the way we're going in this country, forget it. I mean, I came to this country from Mexico because, you know, it's the land of opportunities, the land of this, the land of that. Well, I'm very sorry. I mean, there is none of that, none of that. I'm working my little butt off anymore. And, uh, and for what? I mean, it's really getting, it, it's frustrating because, you know, this was supposed to be like the best place in the world. And I, I am sad to admit that when I go down to other countries to see, say, how can that country be better than the US? When I came to the US 30 years ago, this was a great place. And now, now it's scary. And when people tell me, should I go and practice medicine in the U.S.? Hell no, under no circumstances. What can we do is we can stop participating in the system. We can educate ourselves on our health. We can do health prevention and not contribute to the sick care system. We can support organizations trying to educate other people about these topics. We can stop using health insurance. We can just get catastrophe insurance and use shared programs or sign up with a PMA where you have a subscription service and you get healthcare prevention and just well telehealth telehealth providers like there are ways to just not participate there's really not the one solution first of all there needs to be uh, several solutions. One of them is what I do, direct primary care, and we also have direct specialty care. So the way direct primary care works, it's not the concierge medicine, first of all. Um, direct primary care, it's affordable monthly membership fee, and the family has access to a doctor 24-7. So I started um, charging I started in 2017, and I just increased my prices in January of this year. It took me forever. But uh, my patients used to pay $25 for children, uh, 50 to $75 for adults, and now it's 35 to 110. I'm starting to see Medicare patients as well. So you pay monthly membership fee, you have access to a doctor 24 seven. Uh, we can take care of minor emergencies in the office. Um, anything really from regular checkup, physical to woman uh, care. Some of us do OB, I don't do OB, but some people still do OB, we do pediatrics. And you have a doctor at your service, even if you travel, my patients are traveling around the United States or even 
you know, if, if they're outside of the United States, they can call me and ask for advice. I can prescribe. But usually if it's within the United States, I can send medicine if needed to wherever they are, unless they're controlled substances. Those I can only send within the state. But I have someone that they can come and ask for help if they need to. So this is what is the important, most important thing, uh, patient-physician relationship. And now the specialists are starting to do the same thing. It is a little bit harder for them if they work in a hospital because uh, the hospital has their own set of prices, but even most specialists can do procedures in the surgical center. So a lot of them are starting to find that this fee-for-service does work even in specialty care. Um, so the answer to this question, this parallel medical system is definitely free market. Because if I charge $50 and he charges $75, but you like him better than you like me, you decide, market will decide where you go.